Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Talking about money with your partner can be one of the most uncomfortable things you can do in a romantic relationship. After all, the person you choose to spend your life with may not share your views on money. And our guest on this episode, Ramit Sethi, is the author of the New York Times bestseller, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. He says money conversations can sound scary and painful, but they don't have to be. In fact, they can bring you even closer to your partner if you know what to ask and how to stay calm. So, Ramit, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You launched a podcast on the intersection between relationships and money. And I'm wondering what inspired that? Well, when my wife and I uh, were engaged and we started talking about money more seriously, I wished that I could listen to other couples and I wish I could hear behind closed doors and hear how other couples were grappling with these topics. Um, There's a lot of advice out there on the internet that tells you these somewhat generic points, you know, have the conversation, put everything on the table. And those are true, but I wanted to know, what do I say? You know, what if we're discussing complicated topics like a prenup, which we were, and what if the two of us have totally different views and perspectives on money? And so after going through our journey, which I'd happily share with you, uh, I decided, you know what? There is nothing out there like this. Most of us have never actually heard a couple talking about their numbers, real numbers, and their point of contention. And so I started a podcast where every week I speak to couples from behind closed doors. They share their real numbers and you can listen in and discover the psychological insights along with them. We would love to hear your story and know that you actually have a script for exactly how we need to bring up that topic when the time is right. Yeah. Well, for us, uh, let me first off say I broke my own rule (laughs) and I want to admit that up front. You know, almost everybody in personal finance says you should talk about money as early as possible. And I think for some of them, they expect you to go on date number one and be like, show me your Roth IRA. I'm like, have you people (laughs) ever been on a date in your life? I I still have that question. So, But, But you know what? You can tell a lot about somebody on the first date in regards to how they view money. I think by just seeing how they approach when that first bill comes, right? Oh, yeah. It's very telling, right? Is somebody reaching for the bill? What place are you choosing? Um, What happens on day two? There's a lot of unconscious things that are transmitted in our money behaviors. Well, for my wife and I, we were dating and then we got engaged and uh, we, we finally sat down and talked about money. And my wife said something that I, I'll never forget. She said, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable because you know everything about my financial situation, but I don't know anything about yours. And I had broken my own rule, which is I'd, been, I'd helped her with her 401k setup. 
And so I knew more about her financial situation, but I hadn't really told her about mine. And so I realized right at that moment, that was a mistake. We talked about my numbers and we talked about what it meant for us. Okay. So all that was actually really positive. It was, you know, what do we get to do in our lives? What kind of life do we want to lead? Do we want children? All that kind of stuff. And later it got a lot more complicated. This is when we started discussing a prenup. Now, when most people hear the word prenup, it's funny the reaction they have because they're often, they think that one person is out to screw the other. They imagine that this person wears a richy rich top coat every day, and they're just going to deploy this army of lawyers. That's a very outdated view of what prenups really are. And so I actually went on my friend Tim Ferriss's podcast to talk about the exact process of discussing a prenup. And this is something that is not really publicly talked about. It's only done behind closed doors with lawyers. And I wanted to open up the door. I wanted to share and shed some light on it. And with my wife's permission, I said, can I share what happened with our experience? And she said, yes. So uh, let me just quickly tell you what happened. We started off, we said, I said, you know, it's important to me that we discuss a prenup. Why? Because I have a business, because of the course of my work, I've been able to accumulate assets. And I also want you to feel comfortable. I want us to make a plan. I don't expect for us to ever get divorced, but I do want to discuss these topics right now. And so to her credit, she was really receptive to it. She said, wow, okay, I I didn't expect to talk about this, but I'm open to learning more. Great. We started talking about it more. Of course, when you're discussing a prenup, each, each person needs to get their own legal representation, which we did. And then it got pretty tough. You know, we were fighting. Um, we were discussing numbers. We didn't feel it was fair. And eventually she said, we got to go see somebody. And uh, if anyone wonders, how do you find a therapist? We just went on Yelp. <laughs> we're like, therapist near the us. Best advice. Yeah. yeah, we found one that was like five minutes away. We went there. And the, and the therapist was great. She, she asked us a series of questions. And one of the things she asked us was so striking. She said, how, what's one word you'd use to describe how you see money? Now, I want you to remember, I, I write uh, a, a site called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I have a New York Times bestselling book on personal finance. I've been thinking and writing about money for over 20 years. So I was like, growth. Like, it's so obvious, growth. I could see the compound interest in front of my eyes. And then the therapist turns to my wife and says, how would you describe your view of money? And she goes, safety. I looked at her like, she just said the word metal. What? What what does that mean? Safety. How does money and safety relate at all? But to her, it was so obvious. She wanted money to feel safe. And that explained so much of the conflict that we were having. We were seeing them through two totally different lenses. So with a lot more work, we were able to come to an agreement. And once we got married, uh, then uh, chapter two began of our financial journey, which was, you know, how do we set up our daily and monthly spending plans? That was the reason that I started my podcast. And that is the reason why I want more people to be talking about money because it's behind closed doors. Most of us don't even know about money ourselves, much less when we bring a partner into it. And finally, when you get on the same page, it can be amazing and incredibly empowering. But it can be embarrassing and painful 
getting there, obviously. So I'm wondering what kind of a mindset you have to get into before you start to approach this with your partner. What do you say and how do you bring it up so it's not awkward and, you know, just uncomfortable? Yeah. The common approach is to point a finger at your partner and say, I can't believe you spend that much at Target. (laughs) (laughs) Never going to be a good conversation. So what I like to do is um, to really have have a reason to bring it up. This is kind of like going on a date and watching a movie. And after the movie, you go, oh, what do you think of that movie? And you have a conversational topic. So in this case, you might listen to an episode of my podcast or, or read a book or whatever, and you go, hey, you know, I've been reading this book by this guy, Ramit, and he mentioned that it's really important to talk about money. And I realized I haven't really talked about money the way I grew up. I'd love to hear how you grew up with money. So like, what's one thing you remember your parents saying around the dinner table? That's a really interesting and low stakes way to bring up money. Another way would be to, again, start with yourself and say something like this. You know, I realized I really want to do a better job saving money. And, you know, I looked at my accounts and last year I saved, you know, $600 or $6,000, whatever the number may be. And that's one of my goals for this year. I'm curious, like, have you ever thought about your money? What are your goals? What you're doing there is you are starting off with a low stakes question. You're also putting yourself first. You're not going to your partner and saying, tell me about all the bad things you do with money. That's never going to be a good one, but you're starting with yourself. And that opens up the door to a series of conversations that you can have about money. And one of those topics I know is about how people navigate gender roles and finances. How do we, how do we navigate that? Well, First off, there are differences in gender with money. And we've seen this through the research in terms of investing styles, et cetera. I will say that when I speak to couples on my podcast, um, it's a common trait that uh, if there is one partner who describes their money lens of security in a heterosexual relationship, it will tend to be the woman. That can be, that doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just is what it is, um, at least in the couples that I have spoken to. Um, I would say rather than focusing on gender roles, focus on other patterns that are more actionable. So you might start off by saying, you know, here's when I think about growing up with money, here's what I remember. Or when I think about what my rich life is, here's what I envision. And that could be, you know, I don't want to wake up before 9 a.m. or I want to take two vacations per year. Now it becomes more about what you want, what you visualize. And then you can open up the door for a conversation with your partner. You can, yes, of course, we are all affected by cultural forces, social forces, gender forces, of course. And that's real. We should acknowledge that. But we can also shape the conversation by talking about how we grew up, what we want, and how we need our partner's help in order to get there. But what about gender roles from the standpoint of women who think that the man should pay for everything or that couples think that, okay, the man and the woman should pay equal amounts even if one is making more money than the other? What do we do with mm-hmm. that? Well, that's a very uh, interesting, tricky, and con- controversial uh, question. So I recently had a couple on my podcast 
where there was a young woman and she said, point blank, I expect him to pay for me because he's the man. He's pursuing me. He's lucky to be in a relationship with me and he should pay for everything. And I asked him, Pablo, his name was Pablo, what, what do you expect in this relationship? He was like, that is ridiculous. I want a fair partnership and this does not feel fair. Mm-hmm. And so when you first listen to that, it's very easy to develop a strong opinion about who's right and who's wrong. But over the course of two episodes, I unpeeled where they came up with their views on money. And it was much more complicated than you would think. There were cultural differences. There were changes in their career. One of them made more money than the other. Um, So I'll first just say that I understand there are certain tropes when it comes to money, okay? But without being judgmental, I do want to try to understand where they came up with those from. And then we can talk about what kind of rich life do you have? There are some couples that say, you know what? I want him to pay more. And he says, yeah, I want to pay more. That's, they're going to come up with their roles. They're going to agree on them and they're both okay with it. Fine. There are other couples where she earns more than he does. Fine. Where the conflict happens is where one person expects something and they can't articulate why. And the other partner has a totally different expectation. Just to to give you a quick summary of what tends to work is um, a lot of people think that they should split things 50-50. That can be very tricky, especially if you have one person earning more. So I tend to find that um, spending proportionally is better. If one person earns twice the other, they spend twice on expenses. That reduces a lot of conflict quite a bit. You know, I'm wondering what kinds of issues the pandemic has brought about in terms of the things that couples have to deal with financially. Honestly, not much. Really? If anything, it has raised the idea, especially in the early part of the pandemic, like, hey, we should actually probably pay attention to money. You know, people were losing jobs. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty. In March 2020, the market dropped dramatically. You know, these are things that people thought about. But candidly, it, money is money. It does not change from one year to the next. What changes are uh, predictable events in people's life. I'll tell you what I mean. Frankly, nobody really thinks about money or cares about money until one of these things happens. It is uh, graduating from college, getting married, having children, turning 40, thinking about retirement, and then retiring. Those are some of the more predictable areas that cause people to get interested in money. But just like flossing, we know we should do it. We know we should invest. We know we should save. But until something happens, an inciting incident, most of us are just perfectly fine going along with life. Um, and the truth is like not, nothing really bad happens on a day-to-day basis. But if you're able to have these conversations, get ahead, wow, you can truly live a rich life. Well, let's say that we've waited way too long to have this conversation and we find out, oh my God, that person who I was about to marry is in deep, deep debt. Yeah. What do we do then? How how do we react? And should we say like, hey, I need you to get this in order a little bit more before we think about opening a joint account or what do you do? Yeah, so this is a great question. The debt question is a super juicy one because um, I think a lot of uh, people who are single or engaged 
start to have these conversations. Again, there's an inciting incident that causes them to think about money and they discover, oh my God, I didn't know this about my partner. There's a whole side of them I didn't realize. Now, um, first off is just understanding what are your views on debt? Okay, some people hate debt above all. For example, they will take all their money and pay off their mortgage as fast as they can because they just hate debt. Other people say, hey, debt is just math. I know that if my mortgage is 3% or my student loan is 4%, I'm going to pay the minimum because I can make more in the market, blah, blah, blah. They take a more mathematical approach to it. First question is to ask yourself, what do I think about debt and why? Okay, most of us haven't ever thought about this question. We just heard a few things from our parents and then we believe those things for 40 years. The second is, to have that conversation with your partner, the first of many, which is, hey, I think it's probably a good idea for us to talk about money. I'd love for us to come together, maybe share some of our numbers, share how we think about money. Would you be open to that? Yeah, okay. All right, why don't we get some our stuff together and let's talk next week. Again, notice what I'm doing in this conversation. I'm not blindsiding them and saying, show me your debt and what's your interest rate? That's going to get them defensive. Third is lead by example. Start with yourself, open up your numbers. Um, and then when they tell you about their debt, that's when you can start asking some questions. So, wow, I didn't realize that. Well, thanks for being so open with me. I guess the way I'm feeling right now is surprised. I didn't realize that you had this much debt. So I'm kind of curious, how did this happen? Tell me a little bit more about that. Again, you can notice I'm being inquisitive, not judgmental. And it's really hard to do this. So this is a skill that you can develop. Um, I will tell you that from my experience in speaking with friends and my readers, readers, uh, people understand if their partner has student loan debt. That's very common. They're less understanding if someone has substantial credit card debt. So, you know, I've asked this question before. I'll say, what if you found out your partner secretly had, you know, $40,000 of debt? And most people's response is, well, I want to know what kind of debt and how did they get it? It's one thing if they took a graduate program and incurred $40,000 of student loan debt. It's totally another thing if they have just been spending on things that they don't even remember and they've incurred $40,000 of high interest credit card debt. So you will notice that everything I've said until now is about collecting information. It's about examining your own perspectives before you go off on a long tirade, which by the way, you shouldn't do at all before you start judging your partner and getting mad. That, don't do that. That's going to be a losing battle. How do you approach it if you discover that your partner has, say, a hidden gambling habit or is spending excessively on things that you had no idea about? How do you okay. bring that up? Well, for, forget everything I said about staying calm. In that case, I can understand <laughs> a little screen. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I mean... I have to tell you that there are some red flags in a relationship that are, in many cases, insurmountable. I don't mind if I hear one partner has 40K of student loan debt. I am concerned, but I think you can work it out if a partner has $25,000 of credit card debt. Okay, I'm concerned. It's hard, but it can be worked out. I am extremely concerned if one partner has a hidden spending or gambling problem. These red flags, uh, in fact, I think there are about three of them that I've identified. The first is lying, right? Lack of integrity, that's red flag number one. 
The second one is an inability to want to change. If somebody's got debt, okay, we can talk about that. We can figure out how that happened. But if you, if you don't want to change, then we don't really have much to talk about. I can't make someone want to change. And the third is radically different expectations. If one partner wants to live on a farm and the other person wants to live on the 20th floor of a Manhattan high rise, or if one partner wants to send their kids to private school and the other wants to homeschool them to save money, we've got radically different expectations. And that's a third red flag. So uh, I want to start off by just saying that's a bad situation to be in. And I would start off by really more directly probing them. How did this happen? Why am I only finding out about this now? Tell me everything. And then get it all out on the table and ask them, what do you want to do about this? Notice, I did not try to solve the problem for them. This is a common thing. A lot of partners, they take on the burden themselves. Okay, well, we need to get a plan together. and Let me come up with this and that and this and that. You're disempowering your partner and you're not allowing them to actually take ownership of the problem. So a different in, approach, a different in, approach. What in that situation, then with, uh, with gambling or something like that, how long should we give them to try and fix that awful spending habit and to fix it on their own? Well, it should start immediately. You, you don't need to wait in order to fix a gambling problem. Of course, it takes a lot of time. Or, or to pay it off, I guess. Well, that, that depends. I mean, if yeah. they have $1,000, then that's a totally different story than if they have $112,000. Uh, it also depends on the interest rate and their income. What's, what's more important, and I find this consistently, a lot of people who have some kind of financial problem like debt, they feel overwhelmed. They even describe it as drowning. They feel like every day they wake up and they are drowning. And I ask them, when is your debt going to be paid off? And do you know what their answer is? No. They have no idea. Yeah. 90 plus percent of people don't even know how much they owe. Okay. Over 90%, over 95% of people have no sense of when their debt payoff will happen. And so part of this journey of um, working through a financial problem is making a plan. All right. So if you have debt, whether it's student loan debt, credit card debt, mortgage debt, if I ask you, when is that debt going to be paid off? You should be able to give me an answer like this. Ramit, it will be paid off in July, 2026. You should know the month and the year exactly. Now, how do you get there? This is, this is really the crux of it. A lot of people, including me, want to jump into Excel. Let's create a plan. This is what I try to do with my wife. I said, babe, let's create a plan. Look at this Excel model. It's so cool. And, uh, you know, tech, tech dudes and, and other fire people in the fire community, they love to jump to Excel. Excel is safe. Cell C3 never talk back to me. It's so logical. And that, that's what I did. <laughs> Nothing sexier than an Excel file, right? <laughs> yeah, I discovered uh, this is not very productive. This doesn't work because my wife and I were just speaking different languages. Okay. By the way, she's quite adept in Excel. It's not that she doesn't know Excel. It's that I had tried to skip over a series of really important conversations. Like, what does money mean to you? What does it mean to me? What is our rich life? What do we see in that rich life? How do we want to spend our time and money, right? These are all things you don't need Excel. You don't need a book. You can talk about it. And yes, you can get some help from my podcast and other people, 
but you can have these conversations together and actually it should be quite joyful, right? What do we want to do? Well, you know, I, one day I would like to uh, live on a coast or one day I want to wake up and there's somebody making breakfast for our daughter. I don't know, whatever it is you want. I want to take two vacations. Um, Once you create this rich life vision, which we cover on my newsletter, then and only then can you start talking about a plan. Because if you don't agree on your vision, how are you going to make a plan for it? How realistic should you be in making this plan? Because, you know, we we might all want to own an island someday or something like that, but it might not be realistic for the guy who's working at the gas station. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. One of the couples I spoke to, the um, the gentleman was a doorman in New York. And I think he earned maybe fifty, sixty thousand dollars And I asked him, what is his rich life? And he told me, this is live. It's on the podcast. You can hear it. He said, I'm not going to be satisfied until I have $100 million. And that, that struck me because that's not realistic. A guy making 50K is never going to have $100 million. Let's be honest. And his wife expressed a lot of concern because she said, it feels like you are creating this huge vision in the sky. And if we don't hit it, then you can never feel successful. So I do think that um, when, if somebody came to me like that gentleman, I would say, okay, where'd you pick that number from? Tell me how, tell me how could you get from where you are today to hundred million? I want you to walk me through it. And of course there is no way for him to get from where he is to hundred million. Okay. And what I might say instead is, Hey, what does it look like in your rich life? And this is exactly what I did. I said, tell me about your rich life week. Cause he was dreaming like when he's 70 years old, he wants a billion dollars. I said, okay. What about tomorrow? What's your rich life week? We shrunk the game. You know, his rich life was so simple. I want to go out to dinner once a week. I want to send our laundry out to be done for us. It was not expensive at all. And that helped him realize that he had been procrastinating on living a rich life today so that he could come up with a dream for tomorrow. So I love your question. Realism is important. Maybe I can give your listeners an exercise that they could do with their partner uh, for creating their rich life vision. Is that okay? Please, yeah. All right. Okay, so this is something I did with my wife and I'll just share how we did it. And if you're listening, you can do exactly this with your partner. It's actually a lot of fun. Grab a glass of wine, sit down, two pieces of paper and tell them, babe, I listened to this podcast today and I wanna talk about what's on our bucket list. What's our rich life? bucket list. So you're sitting down there, you got your wine and here's how you do it. You say over the next 10 years, what's on your bucket list. It can be things just for you. It can be things for us. So let's take 10 minutes and write them down. So both you write them down separately and then you compare notes. So my wife and I did this and she had certain things like she wanted to learn a second language. And I had things that I want to do just for myself I want to write a future book in a hotel. That's just my dream. I know it's weird. This is what I want to do. And then we found some things that we want to do together. So um, we picked one, which we thought was really exciting. It was meaningful to us, which is we want to have a 10-year wedding anniversary in a very specific place that's meaningful to us. I said, awesome. This looks, this looks so cool. This would be amazing. Like, what, what do you envision? 
So we started to build on each other. Notice this upward building. What would it be like? What kind of food would we have? Who are we going to invite? When are we, what else are we going to do there? What's going to make it amazing, right? We're both getting pumped. We're getting excited. Okay. I said, cool. Let's do a second part of this exercise. Let's pick how much we think it's going to cost. Now, put your computer and your phone away. You don't need an exact number here. Just ballpark it. So if you, for example, I had one couple, they said, I want to take a three-week trip to Italy. Okay, how much is it going to cost? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm stuck. I got to do all this research on Expedia. I said, I don't want to hear about Expedia. Just ballpark it. You want to fly business class. You told me that. You want to take a food tour. You want to go on a train. Fine, ballpark it. And then add 25%. Because I don't want you to have to go and scrimp and pinch for this bucket list item. So my wife and I brought our numbers together. We compared them. And what's really funny is my number was like five, 10 times bigger than hers. Because I was like, this is going to be sweet. I don't want to cut corners here. All right. So, so she was visibly uncomfortable because she, that number was huge. I said, babe, if we're, if we have two different numbers, I propose we go with the bigger one. It doesn't mean that we have to get exactly this number, but I want us to dream big. And I actually think with increasing earnings and investing, we can hit this number quite easily. She begrudgingly said, okay, so now here's the key. We took that meaningful thing that we both want to accomplish and we put it into our monthly financial plan. So every month we get together, we spend less than one hour uh, talking about our finances together. But in there, we have this wedding anniversary. And just for easy math, let's pretend it costs $10,000. So we know that we need to save, I don't know, hundred bucks a month for this thing. Let's just say every month we see that increasing right? Like a video game. It's just going up percent by percent. And every month we get to look at each other and talk about what's going to be cool. And, oh my God, we should add these people to the guest list. And now we are working towards our rich life. So for everybody listening, take that exercise. You don't have to do a 10-year bucket list. That's a little bit more advanced. Start with this year. What do we want to accomplish this year? Maybe we want to eat at this specific restaurant. Maybe we want to take a two-day camping trip whatever is meaningful to you in your rich life, and then come up with the number and start saving for it. That is how you use money to live a rich life. And Ramit, at the end of each show, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about the benefits of having open conversations about finance in a relationship that reach far beyond just making more money that you wish that they had and you'd like to pass on to our audience because it might totally transform many aspects of their relationships? Nobody told me that psychology is at least as important as math when it comes to money. Ooh, wow. And, Isn't that nobody, true? Yeah. And nobody told me that it's okay to be emotional about money. You know, a lot of people, in fact, I'll, I'll speak for men because I've heard a lot of men use this phrase, you know, you're just being emotional with money. And they throw it around like it's an insult. It's not an insult. We are emotional about money. Yes, I am emotional about money. It's okay to be emotional about money. There are things that make me happy when I spend it. There are things that make me sad or make me feel embarrassed or anxious. Let's acknowledge that. It's okay to be emotional about money. It's not a weakness, but we do want to pair our emotions with understanding our inner psychology and 
building basic competence in the math behind personal finance. You do those things and you are on the path to live a very rich life. And Ramit, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet and find out more about your podcast? My podcast is called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And that is real conversations with real couples from behind closed doors. You can find me online at iwt.com. That's short for IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. And I'm on Instagram at Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. Wow. Well, this has been just so much fun uh, to talk with you. And it's been really thought provoking as well. And I know we've helped a lot of people. Thank you so much for having me. Again, our thanks to Ramit Sethi, the author of the New York Times bestseller, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 